What happens tomorrow when the lights don't come back on? Do we have food? What about water? What about our own distemper? This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I speak with Tony of Zero Sum Studio about his upcoming game and comic series, Distemper, set four months after the end of the world, take on the role of everyday citizens trying to survive in a world that went out with a whimper. People are your biggest fear here. We talk survival, comics, and gaming right now on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I'm really excited to be talking about a really cool project that, well, I guess kind of two projects with a wonderful creator here. We almost forgot about this on our calendars, and I'm very grateful that, Tony, you reminded me. So, Tony, thanks for coming onto the show this week. I am super excited to be talking about the Distemperverse and Chase and the game distemper so thanks for joining me thank you thank you very much for having me i really appreciate it and i'm glad that uh that we figured out that tonight was the night we were talking so that at least one of us was here at the right time so thank you for that uh, i would have felt so bad i've done it before and i feel awful for like two weeks when i've missed a recording i just like oh man i wasted their time <laughs> it's the harshest kind of bump right it's almost like being yeah. stood up on a date right like wait was my content not good enough you know <laughs> uh, yeah i'm really excited to be talking about these things i read the first issue of the comic there are people who have been on the show and our listeners that have sent like i think that's how you found schedule for launch is that correct michael i believe it was michael Lowe, aimed yeah. you towards the show he's awesome we're in a couple of shared discords and he's just a very Upbeat and inspirational guy, right? He's one of these people. He's un, yeah. un, uh, unflappable, right? And he's just always got such great intentions. He's a school teacher, so I love the work that he does. So yeah, he turned me on to you. And he's one of these people that anytime he recommends anything to me, I take it seriously. If it's a game, if it's a resource, or if it's a podcast, you know, aggressively friendly too. Yeah, yeah, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Tony, before we really dive into the Distemperverse, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, um, so I'm a uh, I'm a 53 year old immigrant. I'm a proud American. I've been in America for 22 years now. I grew up in the UK. I'm an IT professional. Um, I have a fairly I really enjoy it, but I have a fairly boring job, right? And and I've always looked for creative outlets, right? I very much enjoy my career, but it's very technical, right? And so yeah. I've always written ever since I was a kid. I've written and I've drawn, and I. I uh, over the last three to five years, I, I've really wanted to do more, right? I mean, again, I have a very uh, uh, very satisfying career, but it just leaves me wanting a little bit, right? And so um, I, I started playing games uh, more regularly, tabletop role-playing games, and I've always had this deep love of comic books. And over the last few years, they've kind of meshed and come together. So that's that's kind of a little bit about me. And again, have this wacky accent because I'm a, a first-generation immigrant <laughs> that's moved around a lot and then just ended up in the U.S., do you remember how you got started into comics and tabletop role-playing games? Yeah, yeah, both, actually. So um, 
it's kind of that cliche about I learned to read through comics, right? And so I had a couple of comics that I was given when I was very young. And I grew up super poor, right? Like we had a very, mm-hmm. um, I grew up in the middle of a recession and it was, it was like things were kind of like just very working class, right? So there weren't a lot of books around. And uh, my mum was determined to make sure that both me and my sister could read, right? And so I remember her giving me, I don't remember her giving it to me, but I remember growing up and I had a Spider-Man, a Superman and a Batman comic, right? And I remember reading them over and over and just kind of like, you know, mimicking the art and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I distinctly remember getting a Fantastic Four, an issue of Fantastic Four, which I still have actually. And it, it um, I was able to pick words out, right? And so for the first time, mm-hmm. it went from someone reading things to me, for me, like being able to figure some things out for myself, like names and whatever else. So comics have just always been a part of my upbringing. And I... Um, I've just always really liked the sequential nature of it, right? The, the you know, I, I could you could tell a cinematic story with artwork that didn't involve cameras, right? And it was more than yeah. prose because you could show things in silence and let the reader kind of make their own kind of like assertions or like judgments on it. So comics have always been a kind of an integral part of my life. Like I, I have a huge collection. I'm such a nerd, right? Like I have a, like a <laughs> library filled with graphic novels and like, you know, 18 long boxes in my basement just filled with comics mm-hmm. because it's really, it's been a constant, uh, just a constant for me throughout my whole life since I, since yeah. uh, really since the, as early as I can remember, you know? And tabletop role-playing games. I had a friend that asked me when I was maybe 11 or 12, he asked me if I wanted to play a game. Like I, we'd, I'd had a sleepover at his house, and the next morning it was like, "Hey, I've got this game. Like it's a little bit weird, but do you want to try it?" And it was, it was Dungeons and Dragons, right? And it was, you know, nineteen eighty two or whatever it was, and it was the old yeah. pink box. If anyone remembers that, okay. right? like the D and D basic, right? And so, I was hooked from from the first time I played it because I'd always had this uh, very vivid imagination and wanted to write stories, and this was something mm-hmm. that allowed me, with a group of other people, to tell collaborative stories, right? But I. I had kind of a drought, like I didn't, um, I couldn't find anyone that ever wanted to play them. And anytime I described them to people, it very quickly turned into a, wait, what do you do? And it's like, oh, nothing. Like, forget I ever said that, right? Because people just didn't get the concept. And so I had a dry spell of like, honestly, like three decades where I didn't play tabletop role-playing games. And then my wife, who's awesome, bought me a a X-Wing, if you've ever played that, that, the tabletop miniature game. And that led me to playing at a local gaming store where they sold Edge of the Empire. So some of the Star Wars nerds I played with agreed to try <laughs> this game. And that's what got me back into role-playing in probably 20, 2016 or 2017. And since then, it's been a, oh, a wow. weekly part of my life, if not sometimes bi-weekly if I'm super lucky, right? So, And just yeah. playing these games where, again, you're collectively telling stories, it, it really does something good for my soul. There is this lovely thing that we're seeing right now and that is the growth of both independent role-playing games and comics yeah and you've done something really cool with the distemperverse specifically the game distemper and the first issue chase can you tell us a little bit about what this this ip is and how it came to be so i i um 
as I've mentioned a couple of times, like I've always kind of sought these creative outlets, right? So I started playing games with people and it reminded me of oh, something I should say. During this drought, I kept on buying role-playing games, right? I just always oh, yeah. would buy them and <laughs> particularly ones that were associated with IPs that I liked, right? So way back mm-hmm. in like the early 2000s, Farscape was one of those, like I bought that role-playing game just to yeah. read more about Farscape, right? Even though I never got a chance to, horrible system, by the way. So I, I'd always had this interest <laughs> in, in... I don't want to say anything, but... You know, so many of them, again, are great IPs, but you kind of read through the rules and it's like they bolted some stuff together to try and sell something to the fans, right? And so mm-hmm. um, I, I was making a ton of homebrew for the, the Edge of the Empire campaign that, and that ran for like three years or something, right? Like super, actually two yeah. different campaigns, but they ran for a long time, super fun. Um, and I started creating all this homebrew and then... I had this idea that I wanted to create the system that I'd always wanted to play, right? And so I've always been fascinated by post-apocalypse, right? And I've always, because I feel like it's in our very near future, right? And so (laughs) I've always been fascinated by those kind of games. And one of the early games I played was Twilight 2000 back in the 80s, which was this very dystopian, nuclear war wipes out almost everything. You're a, a troop of American soldiers trying to figure out how to survive in Europe and potentially get home to America. And then there was all these modules that describe life in America that was just it was just they created a phenomenal world right and so mm-hmm. I, I wanted to I wanted to create my own game that was something like that but it really wasn't like the militaristic side right and so I created and this was before COVID right so I started this in like maybe April or May of 2019 and I just wanted to create a world where 90% of humanity had been wiped out. So I came up with this idea that hey, dogs like canine distemper mutates. It becomes like highly deadly to humans, wipes out 90% of humanity in so six or seven months, right? So suddenly there's like a billion yeah. people left on the planet. Everything's breaking. There aren't enough skill sets. It's back to the population and kind of technology of the 18th century, right? Like kind of people are everywhere, but not as many of them as there are now. But there's also no food, mm-hmm. right? And there's no production supply chains and so that was the world I started creating and then COVID hit right so I took probably a good nine months off right because it was you know I um it just it it felt a little bit too close to home. You know what I mean? Like it was yeah. this. I've been creating this game about like a world-ending extinction-level pandemic, and then suddenly we're all in lockdown and not seeing our friends, and we're all moving to roll twenty and not interacting with people. And I, you know, travel. I used to travel two to three days a week for my job, just going to see customers all over the country. Yeah. And I went to traveling not at all for like fifteen months. Right? Like I just stayed at home, and so. I took a pause on the game and then I, you know, when I realized COVID wasn't going to be the end of everything, right? When it, when it, when we realized it, you know, cause it went from zero to 60 in no time at all. Right. And so, yeah, you know, yeah, when it started yeah. to die down a little bit, no pun intended. And I realized, Hey, things are going to get back to normal. It's just going to be a bit of an uphill struggle. I got back to the game and it was, it was, it was the best time to start working on it. Again, it was, it was, I stopped working on it because of what was going on. And then I got back into it and suddenly I had all these real world examples of how my game would unfold if I just extrapolated a little bit more. So I got back mm-hmm. to play testing or I start, I got the game into a, a format that I was happy with and I created a play test and through Reddit and Twitter and places I was able to find a, and, and, I, uh, I'm lucky enough to belong to a, a, a Discord group. There's a bunch of people. I'm in Denver. It's a bunch of people local to Denver that specialize in playing like one-offs and playing like random games, right? And just not playing yeah. the, the, the bigger ones, right? And so they helped me play test. And then I just ran into a bunch of other people. And the more I was play testing, 
the more people got interested in the game, which convinced me I was doing a good thing, right? And I have, I don't want to say thriving, but I probably have six to 10 regular contributors, right? And people that have coded Roll20 for me, which is just phenomenal to me. And one guy has run like three sessions for people and then recorded it and played it back to me so I can see how a relatively new GM runs the game for people and what didn't, oh man, it was just like gold, right? And so as I was doing these play tests, I kept on using the same play test specifically or deliberately because I wanted to see what worked and didn't work. And as I iterated, I wanted to see, hey, did that fix the problems that we had? And that was chased, right? And so that was the story that just started out as a very simplistic kind of like a modern, not a modern take, but like the house in the woods kind of trope, right? Like in this world, right? Just very simplistic. Just give people something easy they can hang on to. There's a damsel in distress, right? They've got to figure out they're going to help or they're going to ignore. They get pulled into an escalating cycle of violence and it all ends with a campaign setting, right? And so as I ran through this playtest, the stories and the things people were doing and saying, it just made me want to like write it down and do something more with it. And that, you know, a year and a half into the project is when I came up with this distemperverse idea, right? That I could create mm-hmm. a comic book series that would be content for the players of the game and provide a backdrop. And so it all became very enmeshed, right? And over the last 18 months or so, I've written a bunch of short stories that are on global comics, like people can find them on, or on yeah. the website on distemperverse.com. But they're kind of like background stories, right? They kind of detail the world and show little vignettes of what's going Mm on. But Chase is kind of the first ongoing or or, or larger story arc, right? So three chapters, three three issues um, that I've been super lucky. They've been picked up by Blood Moon Comics. So that's coming out later this year. But that first arc, hopefully it will sell well enough to to be an ongoing series, which I've already talked to the publisher about. Again, it it all depends on sales, right? So enough people like this. I already have, I think, nine scripts that are written that I could, you know, very easily... Not very easily, but they, they all tie into this same storyline. So I, I could just keep going with this indefinitely. Like the answer to that short question, which I managed to take about 12 minutes to answer. So sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's great. I wanted to actually talk about Contact with Blood Moon. How'd that happen? I was super lucky, right? I feel almost, I have almost like, not survivor's guilt, but that concept around this, right? So one of the artists that I worked with, Anand Gonzalez, that is amazing, right? And he does very dark... Yeah. Um, he, he works on a lot of uh, Afterlight comics and Diebold comics and he, he and Blood Moon comics, right? And so I had him, I was creating a playtest document and I wanted, a, you know, just to distribute to people so they could run playtests for me and see what worked. And I thought it might be fun to create a short story that went with the playtest that could kind of set the stage for the GM, right? And it's a different story in the playtest to the one you read in the comic book. So it's not like readers would read it and give it away. So I worked with Hanan on it and he posted a couple of his pages or those pages to his portfolio. And Blood Moon reached out to him and said, hey, can you put me in touch with the, the creator or the author of this? So they reached out to me, right? So I feel almost like survivor's guilt lucky where it's kind of like yeah i see all these stories of people struggling and yet the first script i'd written i was lucky enough to work with an artist who represented it well enough that it drew in a publisher that then wanted to publish and the the ongoing story is drawn by somebody else but again i was very very lucky there was no i I didn't i didn't really have i i in full disclosure i'd sent a copy to scout and to um image and dark horse but it was all those kind of hell marys right i really thought i was going to kickstarter but it's like i've got it why wouldn't i send it to publishers but i ended up getting it published by somebody that i didn't send it to so i felt very lucky extremely lucky it's such a strange little thing where all it takes is 
one post to the right place or one person to happen to spot something, right? So that that imposter syndrome almost is yeah. super tricky to deal with. Imposter syndrome. It wasn't survivor skill. Thank you for the correction. It was absolutely imposter syndrome, <laughs> right? It's, but it's that it's that just that idea that's kind of like me, like really. And I honestly, at every turn, I keep expecting the publisher to come back to me and be like, "Oh no, I finally read it. It's horrible, right?" And there's a lot of I use a lot of I. I, I I use a lot of F-bombs in there, right? I mean, whether or yeah. not I've succeeded or not is a different question, but the dialogue is intended to be fairly natural, right? There's, it's not speeches, it's not expositions, it's like people really talk to each other, I think. So I'd really expected the publisher to come back and be like, hey, I'm going to limit you to 25 F-bombs per page, right? And so he didn't. Mm-hmm. So again, I have this whole imposter syndrome where I'm like, I don't know if I'll believe it until I actually see it in my local comic book store. And the great news there is my local comic book store have already, um, I reached out to the owner Hall of Justice in Denver or in, Cent- in Parker, sorry, is like the best comic book store or one of the best I've ever been to. And the owner, I was lucky enough to stumble in there just after he opened it. And he's now on his third kind of upgrade in terms of store. And he's yeah. built a phenomenal business. So he's not a friend, right? But he's someone that I've known for years. And like we send each other like Merry Christmas messages and that kind of crap. So I wrote yeah. to him and said, a blood moon like really legit. And he, he came back and he was like, oh yeah, like we'll have you do a signing in the store and we'll be able to put them on the bookshelf. And it was kind of like, oh my God. Like, I mean, just kind of, <laughs> Again, I thought I was going to get kickstarted, maybe get it into the hands of 65 people. I don't know if I was really lucky, but as it is, it could be in, it could be in Japan in comic book stores. <laughs> it's crazy. It's awesome. Yeah. Really awesome. Yeah. Part of what I think, and I've read the, the first issue, it's, once again, I said it often, I'm going to say it again, absolutely incredible. You're right. The dialogue is supernatural, and I think basing characters and dialogue off of things you've seen from playtests or how people handled it is definitely like a almost like a hidden weapon for you yeah because it is so well done the characters feel very flushed out i couldn't tell you their names right now i'm gonna be honest but sure i know all their like their personalities something that doesn't usually happen when you pick up a comic is you clearly remember every single character and they all are very that splash page where all the characters are lined up together. I can pick out each individual one and start figuring out the details and kind of guess at their personalities, how it's going to go. Thank you. That huge compliment. Thank you so much. And again, these are, these are pre-generated characters that you play as part of this adventure, right? They come with the adventure scenarios. So all Marv and Carly and David and Morgan and Victor, which are the character names, and Maddie, the woman in the forest, they're all characters that people get to play. So again, a lot of these personality traits have come through the osmosis of playing this with other people or that kind of like, like synthesis, I should say, of like playing it with other people mm-hmm. and seeing how they inhabited the characters. So it's been super fun experiment, right? And again, the, the, in a similar way, the story I did with Hernan that I mentioned earlier, Empty, um, a similar thing, right? I've played that one through, I'm going to say conservatively five or six times now. And I've listened to recordings of, like I mentioned, another of my playtesters running through for other people. And every time it's played, it's different, right? And Empty is just a single scene encounter where the players who are actually the same players from the comic, right? So it's, it takes place two weeks before the comic. So it's the same, it's, it's Morgan, it's Carly, it's Marv, it's, they, like, it's the same people. I'll send you a copy after this, but it, it's the same people. But again, the... <laughs> Seeing different people, they just go to a gas station to get a, an arc welder to finish to to fix a piece of equipment on the farm they're living on, and seeing 
groups of different people all approach this differently. Some people try and find like like back doors to sneak in, and some people are trying to get on the roof, and some people are singing songs as they go into. It's just it's always fascinating to see what we as humanity do when presented with different situations. And so it's been a pleasure writing these stories. And like I said, I've got a bunch of finished scripts that have all come out of playtesting, right? They've all come out of different adventures I've run for people, or whatever, right? But it's again, it's uh, it's great to have live muses. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Let's actually transition into the tabletop game now because we talked a lot about the comic and it's super cool, but I really want to talk about Distemper's game. This game is survival. It's in its own way. It's a horror, but it's very grounded in real life. So I know that you mentioned wanting to do that for a long time, but what made you go through with finally kind of getting pen to paper and making sure that this game came to exist? You know, it, 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 it started out, so I'm an engineer, like I said, so often I try and solve problems just for the sake of solving problems, right? And, you know, there's things like Wordle. I wouldn't play Wordle because I knew I would lose hours of my life. You know what I mean? Like, it was kind of like, oh, no, it's a problem-solving thing, and it's to do with words. Just keep that away from me, right? And so um, as I started writing this, this became a bit of an engineering exercise, right? Could I figure out all of the rules and all of the mechanics, and could I do it from scratch, right? I knew of SRDs, but I deliberately kept away... You know, I, I took the most basic mechanic of a 2D6, which uh, 1D6 is even more basic, but I always love that 2D6 and the probability yeah. scale that yeah. goes with it, right? And so a little bit more variability than just a 1D6. So I loved that, and I just wanted to build the most simplistic game where every mechanism is based around the same kind of dice roll, but you switch things up based on different modif- whatever. But I, I, I kind of yeah. started building that out, <laughs> but what really... It, 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 I, I keep going back to this. It was the it was the reaction of playtesters, right? When I when I started playing it with people and people really got into it, that was when I I became more invigorated by it, right? And I again I'm very lucky. I have a regular Monday night playtest with the same five people, same four people, sorry, that um, that I've been playing now with for a year, right? So these people have helped me shape. There's community rules and there's all these different things that go. Like you said, it's a survival game. But it's, you know, I often call it like role-playing in the real world, right? Because the mm-hmm. people, the characters are ordinary people. There's no action heroes, right? There's no, there's no movie heroes in this. There's no super spies or anything along those lines. So it's just, it, it's fascinating to play in the real world. And in, in the current, we just started a new, we're in session four of a new playtest campaign, right? Where we're testing all the community rules. I think in four yep. sessions, there's been one, one piece of like combat, right? And everything else is, is negotiation and everything else is social skills and everything else is problem solving and figuring out you're in the real world. We've set this in, uh, can I share my screen with you and show you, show you something? Is that possible? I'm not totally sure. Actually, there, Maybe I have this. I have the share screen option, so I'm just going to run with it and okay. see whether or not just this go works. Just go for it. So, oh, there it is. Beautiful. So, this is um, this is this is like a beta, right? So, this is on on zero sum games at the moment. But this mm-hmm. is the map of where we're playing, right? So, this is a story of Oregon, which I just picked completely at random. But all these markers on there, these are all things, and I've got more to add from our play session on monday i'm a little bit slack on this but this is this is the map that my players <laughs> use right and originally when we were doing this i don't think i have it to hand but i bought a couple of those rand mcnally fold out maps right so the first play yeah. session 
which was in person, it was pre-COVID. It was kind of like, hey, here's your map of the area. What are you going to do? So, you know, I, I've set this up and this is this is a part of the game, right? Like, I mean, it's it's my goal ultimately, like I keep mentioning homebrew just really fascinates me, right? So the, the idea mm -hmm. of creating a map, or this is, I haven't created this, this is a Google map, right? But the idea of other players and other groups being able to populate their parts of the world and share that with other players. Oh my goodness, right? That's the ultimate yeah. goal of this, yeah. to create this this distemperverse, right? Create this much larger universe. So in this, you know, I mean, dumb things, right? But if I, if I go into the library, this is where we put notes, right? So one of the characters was scavenging. He found the cipher and logs explaining where. So he now categorized the library. Somebody else found a, a book on basic engineering engine mechanics and how to convert uh, engines to methanol. So he's currently studying and going through that. But everything we do is all, all based on this, right? And so when the characters figured that the, or the players realized they needed copper piping, that one of them made a general knowledge role, and then I allowed them a minute on uh, Google, right? They could go out of the game and go to Google Maps, and they realized, oh, there's a Home Depot just across the bridge, like a two-hour walk from where they are. So again, the, the whole, you know, I don't want to say the whole point of it, but a big, you know, a big part of this. Um, there we go. Let me stop sharing and get back to, to looking at you. So the the um, <laughs> and get my camera back on if it works. There we go. So you know, creating this real world again, right? This isn't like you know the the, the mystical plane of Zanzathor or something, right? This isn't like where mm -hmm. I've created you know th this this whole kind of like science fiction universe where people have to go and learn customs and rules. This is set a year after the first death, right? So this is really set like. Four months after, you know, the, the, the default setting is four months after the apex of the, the virus, right? So you're yeah. really in a world where everything is breaking, right? There's no new lingo and there's no cults and there's no factions that have sprung up of raiders and stuff, right? It's just, you'll come across them, right? But they're just desperate people like you are. It's like ex-military or ex-police or whatever that will form their own little mm -hmm. cliques or gangs. So again, like all of this is very much intended to be in, in the real world, right? Just because that to me... I love I love games that take me to other places. I really do, right? But you know, mm -hmm. there's there's part of the appeal of this to me, and part for my playtesters again. There's there's nothing fantastic in this. There's no psionics. There's no magic, right? Combat is brutal. So if you get shot in combat, or if you get, you know, you're unlikely to survive more than two hits of anything in combat, right? Because in yep. the real world, take two baseball bat blows to the head. Even if you survive, you're probably not going to be the same person. So there's also lasting wounds, and players can recruit NPCs to become their apprentices, right? And that way, they can train them in different skills and whatever. Because characters die on it. We we have a concept in playtesting of distemper days, right? How long we open up every session by talking about which day it is and like how many days since the first recorded death because characters we haven't figured out the average lifespan but it's like seven days something you know you know what i mean there's you get into yeah. the wrong situation you approach things in the wrong way your character's dead right and we're, we're giving you a new character that's part of your community or whatever that makes sense yeah no that makes perfect sense i think what helps with that is how character creation works in distemper because it's fairly in-depth, but it's also not difficult. You can get a character made very quickly for this game. Yeah, I thank you. I, I um, And I've, I've actually sped it up recently. I've created a, 
an Excel spreadsheet that's up on Google. Uh, it's up in Google at the moment, right? And so um, in Google Sheets, and, and you can go there, and if you follow along, it's a life pathing system, right? So it kind of guides you through various stages of the character's life. You you allocate points to skills and to, to attributes, but there's a spreadsheet that walks you through it, and it can be done in minutes, right? I mean, again, like it just if you've got the checklist, there's just a, I'll send it to you after, but there's just a bunch of drop downs, and you just slick what you want. It gives you all your secondary stats. You pick weapons. So it's I'm trying to, you know, the other thing I've always loved is creating characters, right? Again, it's all about backstory and homebrew yeah. in my head. So, you know, when I didn't have people to play the games with, I would still, and this sounds like a terribly sad thing to admit, right? But I, I would often still read them and then figure out character creation and all these different things. Just because the mechanics, yeah. again, as an engineer, the mechanics really appealed to me, right? And I wanted to kind of understand them. So the character creation... I, it's it's I've done a ton of it right, and I have one playtest that I joke about the chief character creation officer right because anytime yeah. I change something, he's happy to create a bunch of characters and test it out. And often we'll be joking in Discord about a certain archetype, and then suddenly I've got a character sheet in my inbox because he just went away and went through the spreadsheet <laughs> and created it all. And so it's but again, characters are very much real people right. There's school teachers. There's that's what you're supposed to be. There's no classes or anything, right? But you kind of pick backgrounds, no. right? So, you know, someone could have been a school teacher or a, a truck driver or, you know, you could also be a cop, right? Or you could be a mercenary if you want to have those all-important combat skills that don't get used. Yeah. But the idea really is like, hey, create a version of yourself or a, not even a version of yourself, but create a realistic archetype or a character and then figure out how you would actually survive in the post-apocalypse. Yeah. I think the biggest draw to me is that I've done two characters really quickly just to kind of fill it out, just to see how it works. I like to yep. figure out systems in that. And both characters felt like people I could have just walked out and met on the street. Like it, they feel like it's set up to make you feel like you're making a person, which is a very bizarre feeling, but also really cool, especially in the setting. Thank you. Thank you. My, my playtest has gotten really attached to some of their characters, which makes it even more fun to come along and Godzilla them, you know what I mean? And just like trample them out of existence. But it's it's also been, it's been really fun because again, the system's very, uh, the character creation, this life path thing is very loose, right? So people can create whatever yep. they want. So I had one playtest to create a, um, uh, an influencer, right? And so it was, a, yeah. it, so it was great because again, like that, that flavor he brought to that character also then changed how I had that character interact with others, right? So when that group met a settlement, there are, you know, all the younger people knew, because again, it was only six months ago, so they all know who this this influencer was, right? So suddenly, he was like the king of the heap in this place, whereas he really didn't have a very good skill set. You know what I mean? Like, the character, anyway. So it does, it lends itself to those stories, because combat's great, right? But I... And there is combat, right? I don't want to. I mean, we have a very yeah. involved combat yeah. system, right? But it's 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 always meant to be as a last resort because there's a very good mm -hmm. chance you will die in combat. So it should be as a, you know, that that kind of again system of last resort, right? You shouldn't be leading with combat. Yep. And it should be yep. about tactics and sneaking up on people and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So you're not directly taking people on because you'll probably lose. You had mentioned that influencer character. That actually makes me want to go into the next little bit, which is a more mechanical thing. And that's sure. three really cool skill checks that are involved in this game. And that's the first impression gut negotiation checks. How do these work? Yep. Because narrative, like negotiating a narrative is so important in Distemper. Yeah, yeah. So when you, when you first meet an NPC, 
you 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 have a, a first impression check, right? And you know you can do this as a group as well, right? And but it really is how do you come across them, right? And there's there's you know circumstantial influences and so on. So you know if if you meet them in the wrong situation, you're going to come across in a very negative way, right? And so that will define the relationship between the groups, and you can change it, but that's essentially the first you know the first impression. Gut instinct is much more of a I don't really like perception, right? And it's been, it, we, we've had it in yeah. and out of the game in various iterations, right? But it just, it always feels like, you know, a perception check is very much a, hey, something's going on here. Did you notice it? Well, pretend I didn't say anything, right? And so gut instinct kind of gets away from that a little bit, right? But it really is about like the people that you meet, right? What is your take on that person? Like a reverse first impressions <laughs> check, right? And so the, yeah. the, the, yeah. That in the most recent iteration, that's done in secret by the GM, right? I've always had the players do it, but it still comes back to that, like, oh, ignore that, ignore the reason for me asking you that role. But gut instinct yeah. is meant to be again, like, what impression do you get from a from an NPC, right? Do you do you think you can trust this person, or do you think they're going to like rob you in the night, right? And then negotiation yeah. ties into that because again, like it, combat, combat's pretty brutal, right? So the idea is you want to have. Uh, I wanted to have other systems by which players could interact with NPCs and groups to have different outcomes, right? And so negotiation can be introduced by either side. And obviously players don't have to go with this, right? But if they go into the negotiation, they have to, you know, they have to agree to the outcome of it, right? So you can't get into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, they could break off the negotiation, but they can't say, well, I don't like the fact I lost, so therefore I'm ignoring it, right? They have to kind of like, you know, abide by the outcome. But again, it's a way of... Um, Again, in the most recent playtest, the when the players uh, found the next town over, right when they when they ventured out and they started exploring, that they've been getting into negotiations about fuel rights and different things that like people have got in their town. So it just becomes a mechanic or a system. It's just an opposed check, right? But it allows players to go backwards and forwards with me as the GM and come to agreements, right? And so, again, it's just it's just there to make the world a little bit more interesting rather than hey, first you know I'm going to talk to them. If it doesn't work out, I'm going to shoot them. I wanted to give players tools that would make it a little bit more nuanced. Again, I love interactions, and I, I don't really like role play. I'm not very good at voices. Do you know what I mean? So I, I never really yeah. I, I, role play in the sense of like I'm you know none of the people I play with ever take on the role of their character, but they all role play, right? Everyone stays in character. Their characters acting. There's no Scottish accents, right? There's no one being a dwarf yeah. with a Scottish accent in any of these games. <laughs> but I, I love that player interaction, right? And I love that kind of like again we're collaboratively telling a story. How would your character react in that in that situation? So that. Again, all lends itself with these subsystems to a, to a further the story. And also, one, one last thing, if you wouldn't mind. There, there's a, a concept in there called insight dice, right? So if you roll yes. a yes. double one or a double six, it's a moment of insight, right? Where things either went so remarkably well or disastrously wrong that you get what's called an insight dice, right? So it can be, you know, it's mm -hmm. a dire failure or a wild success, but you also get this dice, and this dice can be used narratively, right? So you can use it, trade it in to roll it. In. Instead of a 2d6, it can become a 3d6. You can trade it in for a plus three modifier. There's mm -hmm. all these things that you can do with it, but they're all in furtherance of people telling the story that they want to tell, and it becomes almost like the control Z of the game, right? Which is, mm -hmm. hey, so that dice roll just went horribly wrong for me, and it's catastrophic. So I, I'm going to go back and I'm going to replay that and I'm going to take a slightly different yep. approach. So again, it's another narrative tool that allows the players really to tell the story and without railroading them, right? Because that's one of the things that I also hate when, I, when I'm when i playing a game and I feel like I'm being railroaded. It just, it, mm -hmm. it feels like it's, 
there's often good reasons for it, but I like to give players... I hate it when you're at the mercy of bad dice rolls as well. Do you know what I mean? I want there to be yeah. a narrative yeah. impact that they have to tell me what's going on and fill in the gaps and tell me what, what happened when you rolled that double one. Did your gun just... Jet, like, what, like, describe the scene to me. So it just prompts all this narrative interaction from the players, which, again, is the whole goal of the game for me, you know? Yeah. I think that both the, the setting, the way that the mechanics work, and the the themes that distemper are about really add to that narrative bit if you think about it in real life and like you touch on it in the comic actually in the first issue with the the police officer whose name i cannot remember right now victor so there is this desire to trust other people and knowing that wanting community and trust could very well get you killed yeah yeah. And I, I love it it's so much. It, thank you. It's that razor, right? So, you know, I um, not long after I moved here, um, Hurricane Katrina, right? And we, we all saw yeah. the, what happened yeah. when, when the lights go out for just eight hours, right? And so, you know, I, 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 I worked at a big technology company at the turn of the century when I'm an old man. I know I look young and pretty, but I'm an old man. So I worked at a big technology company and Y2K you know, the majority of people were like, hey, this is going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. And then there were these like conspiracy theorists and these people that, you know, that, that wanted to believe that the world was going to end because Y2K was coming, right? And so yeah. um, I, I was working in this this company's knock and it's a networking company, but I was working in their, their network operations center at midnight, right? And Or actually, it was earlier in the day, but it was midnight in um, New Zealand, right? And all these things started mm-hmm. breaking, like their emergency. And so we're in the, the network operations center of this large technology company having a moment of like, oh my God, maybe this is all going to come true and it's all going to end, right? And so a couple of years after that, there were um, solar flare issues, right? And and I lived in Amsterdam and we lost power. Everything went out for like two hours, right? And it was one of these like, well, that was weird, right? And so this this yeah. idea that you touched on the... Who do you trust, right? Because you're not going to be able to get by on your own, right? And you're not going to be able to survive on your own, right? It's a big, ugly world out there. And it's suddenly a dangerous world where you'll get killed for scraps of food in your hand and you can't have a nice sleep without somebody watching over you, right? So, but who do you trust, yeah. right? Like who can you trust and, and wonder what circumstances? So that's something that plays out in this, right? And again, goes back to the first impressions and gut instincts in the game because there's a sense of distrust with my players and almost everyone they meet because people may be good people, you know, it says somewhere in the, in the in the quick start. If you're if you're starving, you're going to make interesting choices, right? Because the yeah. you know go back to to Katrina, right? When the lights went out for eight hours, and I lived in California. My wife and I, when our baby, uh, our youngest was born, sorry, our oldest was born back in like 2013, we were living in California, and there was an earthquake, and again the power went out, right? So. Yeah. It was one of those like, hey, this is really scary because we don't really know what's going on. And we had enough food in the house for like a day and a half, right? And it was like, well, I know the power's going to come back on, but what if it doesn't, right? And so that point I bought bug out bags and I bought a couple of those like from Costco, those, you know, 30 day supply of crap, like just add some water yeah. that you probably don't have, right? And so I did a little bit of that, like, like very minor prepping, right? Just that whole kind of like, hey, what happens if like something goes wrong? But it, it really is that idea has always intrigued me because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very resourceful individual, but I've got no idea how I'd survive at the end of the world, right? I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's, there's, I work in technology, and I understand a lot about how a lot of things work, but I don't know how to get electricity working again without a book from a library, right? And so yeah. there's all these things that if you just, like, if, if, if the lights went out for 36 hours, 
me and my family would be living in our basement. Do you know what I mean? It would be kind of like, hey, yeah. like I, you know, yeah. I don't know how to survive this, so I have to get through this. And maybe everyone will just kill themselves in the first 36 hours and we can profit at the end of it, right? So that's a big kind of, none of these people, again, like expected civilization to end, right? No one's prepared for this, right? Yeah. And so the characters in the, in the comic book are very much at a loss, right? They, there's also, this gets touched on in later issues and it's vaguely alluded to in the first page when someone says, I can still smell gunpowder, right? The narrator says, I yes. can still smell the yes. gunpowder. So something's happened to these people just before, right? They've just been evicted off the farm that they, like a gunpoint, right? They just like thrown off the farm mm -hmm. they were living on. A bunch of people were killed in doing it. So, you know, this gets explored later in the comics that there's no certainty. And in fact, the, 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 the without giving it away the 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 arc ends with somebody sitting in a chair cradling a dr a gun getting drunk and saying i'm probably not going to be able to survive but at least now i might be able to do it to somebody else before they do it to me right and again like it's not yeah. in any means meant to be depressing but it's just this idea that like the world's really like what are you going to do like how are you going to survive like you can never sleep again you can never get drunk again like like if you don't have a gun you're in trouble so that's again the base compact and i'm glad it came through in the comic i really appreciate your comments yeah. there like i'm really glad that sense came across I think it also really works through in the role-playing game because unlike a lot of games and like other survival games where you can have survival points, for instance, where it's like, we went through something dangerous, we were awarded survival points. You can trade those in and you'll you'll find food conveniently no matter where you are. That's not a thing here. No, no, you, you have to... You have to scavenge, right? There's um, the, the the core rule book's finished, right? I'm just rewriting at the moment. Like <laughs> version seven is all done, right? But it's we're on version eight at the moment, right? Or version point eight, right? So I'm going through while my family's out of town this weekend. Actually, my plan is to speed run through the core rule book and see how much <laughs> I can rewrite and get it up to speed. But there's um, you, you characters start with enough food for two days, and then they have to scavenge or forage or, or farm or whatever they're going to do to find or steal, whatever they're going to do to find a regular food supply, or they start taking subsistence damage, right? And yeah. one of the other concepts that we're testing out at the moment, there's community rules, right? So you can build a town or a society, whatever you want to build. So these people in Oregon... The playtesters are currently figuring out they've just had their first election, right? Because there was something horrible mm -hmm. happened in the town and they all realized they're starting to come out, right? It's four months after the apex. People are fishing every day on the coast, which they're starting to talk to each other now. Yeah. Um, outsiders came in and kidnapped somebody, right? Which was, again, the only combat that we'd seen in the session. But they re they recognized that the town was at risk. So someone stood for mayor. There were two people stood for mayor. There was an election. So now they're going through and they're figuring out and this may not sound very engaging, but it's super fun, right? And the playtesters are loving it, but they're figuring out how many people they've got in the town and how many they need for food details. And I have all these, another Excel spreadsheet with community rules. And there's all these yeah. passage of time activities, right? So one guy's sitting at home most days. He's still involved in the game, but when he's not doing something else, he's sitting at home studying mechanics so he can figure out how to turn car engines into ethanol, right? And so there's all these kind of yeah. like yeah. things going on around the characters while I'm introducing these kind of other like, like storylines and there's a cult that a lot of people lost their mind, right? So there's a uh, there's one of the towns called Seaside on the Oregon coast. A preacher in that town has built like a congregation and they're starting to go out to take over other towns. So hopefully the playtesters won't listen to this, but that's 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 the crazy people that are <laughs> harassing and haranguing you at the meme. And it's, it's, it's a cult that's yeah. just down the road. So again, like all of this is just, it's, 
it's fun to introduce some of these themes and particularly the survival element, right? Because you have to have, mm -hmm. figure out what you're going to do. You get a sleeping bag to start with, but you know, survival, you, you start taking, in the full game, you start taking exposure damage if you're out and you're open too long. So again, some people might not enjoy this, right? And this, this, this is not a game for everyone, right? And you know, the people that like this seem to really like this and other people it just leaves them cold right other people in one of the yep. playtests that somebody else ran for me the feedback from their playtesters was yeah i was hoping to kill a killer dragon right and it's kind of there's none of that in this right there's no undead there's no there's no nothing there's no mutants there's no aliens there's no. just other scary people right and so if that's people's bag right if people like this kind of more realistic side of things where you have to track ammo and where you know your weapon's going to break over time if you can't find someone to help you fix it if that appeals to people this is a game for them. But I think for a lot of people, it's, mm -hmm. it's probably too, not too realistic, but it probably just doesn't have that element of escapism or fantasy that some people are looking yeah. for in that three hours of rolling dice, you know? I get that. I think, though, if you're playing a survival game, and we mentioned, like, the talking about counting your bullets and finding food, but the thing, too, is that when it comes down to the actual nitty-gritty of this game... It is not nearly as complex as some other games. Like you said, 2D6. Could you talk about maybe just how skill checks and et cetera works with this game? Because we haven't actually touched on that. Yeah, it's, again, very simplistic mechanic, right? Because I want the, the emphasis to be on the... I grew up playing games like Twilight 2000 and Traveler and Aftermath and these games that were so heavy on crunch, right? Mm -hmm. And as a kid, that really appealed to me, right? The, the you know, again, learning all these rules and all these systems. But when, you know, when, when I'm playing... What I found over the last few years is when I'm playing, I just want to tell a story and have other people tell their part in the story and enjoy it, right? And so yeah. part of Distemper is this very simplistic 2D6, and then you add modifiers for your attributes, for skills, and then for mm -hmm. conditions, right? And so you're scaling a wall in the rain, you'll get a negative conditional modifier, right? So, you know, the, everything is cumulative, right? So, and all the skills are tied to attributes, which is fairly common in a lot of these games, but, you know, to yeah. use that example, yeah. uh, dexterity or athletics ties to dexterity. So if you have a high dexterity and a high athletics, getting over that wall is going to be much easier than for an ordinary person, right? And the yeah. skill ranges and the attributes, are the, you know, it's it's from zero to four or zero to three, right, for, for attributes. So mm -hmm. very low level in many respects, right? And, you know, this isn't a game with, like, huge, massive dice pools and rolls, right? It's just very simplistic. You have to get yeah. nine or above for a success, Below that's a failure, you know, three or below is a dire failure where your weapon jams or like you fall over and hurt yourself while you're swinging a blow at someone. And then on the other side of that, 14 or above, which obviously you can only get to with modifiers, 14 or above is a wild success where you get a success and something good happens. So even within the dice roll, there's a lot of, again, narrative tools, right? This isn't a simplistic success or failure. And again, I make the, the, the players narrate what's going on, right? So if they roll a yeah. dire failure, it's up to them to tell the rest of the group what just happened right and so you get again all this great ideas with people like high comedy sometimes with the shit that people will come up excuse my language the stuff that people will come up with oh no you can swear on this show don't worry you can it's swear beautiful thank you <laughs> beautiful so I um, so so again like it, very simplistic in that way but it just facilitates quick quick play right everyone already knows yep. there's no looking up yep. rules to figure things out there's no you know subsystem over subsystem over subsystem where you're learning and trying to reference during play it never gets more complex than 2d6 plus the modifiers that are on your character sheet and then if you get nine or above you won if you got eight or below then you lost right it's very simplistic yep. in that way i love it it's so clean 
it's really easy to it looks really easy to run i should say i haven't run it yet i actually this is one game that i think that i know some people who might be into it i'm going to talk to them eventually and i might try and run it if i uh, get a chance to so that that's one of those things but it's so easy It is by design, right? And again, I can send you the playtest document that gives you that single scene that you can walk people through and it explains the idea with that playtest document was that it explains to the GM what they need to know to teach the players, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have to do any prep. You can literally just crack open this document and it's all in, it's it's all easy to follow, right? And things to read out and then roll this. And so I'll happily send you that, but I'd also be very happy to bring you into a playtest session if you ever want to get to grips with it. But streamlines are simplistic. Again, I think it's... For for this kind of story, it 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 just really suits the world, right? It's again, it's not overly complicated. Even though I love crunch, and again, I'm an engineer, mm-hmm. I deliberately wanted a streamlined system where the focus. I'll say it again for the seventieth time: the focus was on the narrative and the story rather than the game mechanics. You know, you've also included something in the quick start that I think that every single quick start should have, and that is a rules reference. It's, I cannot believe how excited I was just to see that. Uh, and I was I like, can't. oh my God, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's amazing. I love it. So thank you for that. You know, it was my cheap GM shield, right? So it's, it's yeah. you know, it's uh, again, I've, I've played, you know, I, I, the, actually the last few years have really changed. It's mostly online for me, right? I play mm-hmm. almost exclusively online, except when I'm playing with my kids in the kitchen on a Sunday morning, right? And so yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm i not playing Distemper with them. I'm playing things like Mouse Tales and, you know, or Mouse Ritter, <laughs> I should say, and Amazing Tales and stuff. So Although, you know, it's funny, my, my, my son is seven and my wife... My it, my wife was talking to him the other night and he admitted that he knew some bad language and she asked him what and he said the F word and she was like, well, where'd you know that from? And he said, I saw it in dad's comic. And it was like, score, I have totally corrupted my children's minds and they obviously haven't seen all it. There's scenes in there I wouldn't <laughs> let a seven and a nine-year-old see, but they've seen enough oh, for no. him to recognize the, the, you know, the F word as he so cutely put it, right? But anyway, I am... Um, <laughs> It's not the worst. I, I, I'm sure I've disrupted his mind in worse ways than that at this point. But that was it was it was very endearing to me when I heard that story. Oh, that's amazing. Also, here's another one too because this this game Distemper is really well designed for online play. Thank you. And the initiative tracker being online, amazing. That's it's really easy just to put. Hey, here's your modifier. Here's your name. Like. It's one of those things that's just so good for GMs. Uh, thank you. And I is is I mentioned this earlier when I showed the website, right? So I'm still this is all in the nascent stages, right? So I want to get the game finished. I've got a, more playtesting to do, working on the comic book. But there's there's a website component to this, right? So ultimately, mm-hmm. the goal is to create a one stop shop, right? And so um, you know, there's I'm working on integrating a character builder and dice roller and initiative check because ideally what I would like people to be able to do is just go to the website and it becomes kind of a one-stop shop, right? Where even kind of a nascent VTT in there, right? Where people could play through this, right? Because, you know, so 
I'd like to be able to create, a, again, a website where the GM has all the tools that they need because it, it really does feel, I think like a lot of people, when when Roll, when I first heard of Roll20 and when I first looked into it, and it was like, I don't know if I want to play games with strangers, right? And then you have a couple of bad experiences, right? Like people are kind of idiots, yeah. right? Or you get on and someone's being horribly racist or just something where you're kind of like, hey, uh-huh. I came here to escape from all of this and you're dragging me into a shithole, right? And so yeah. I had a couple of bad experiences, but Roll20... I think the evolution of virtual tabletops has really, it's been sped up like everything by COVID, right? And the fact that people just couldn't play except for doing this, but I love them, right? And so creating more online tools for people, right? Because Roll20 just blew me away when I realized, and I've been very lucky, one of my, as I mentioned, one of my playtesters has coded like automated character sheets, right? So you can just click a button for one of your skills and it rolls the dice for you. And it's amazing, truly mind-blowing what he's done in there. And it makes it a much more fun online experience because like all of your skills are on the screen, you're clicking buttons and you're doing different stuff. And it just creates this, again, a more... That's the right way of putting it, like a robust experience, right? And so yeah, at organic, some point, as, yeah, exactly, right? And as much as I can integrate into the web page, right, the, the, the home site, like those maps that I showed you, ultimately I want that map to be available to everyone. And right now I'm the only one that puts stuff or can put content on there, but I would like people to be able to upload stuff. And I curate it to make sure that there's nothing wonky or weird or, you know, get me arrested yeah. or whatever. Make sure that I have a hold of that. But ideally, I'd like this to be a website where people can go to, get the rules, download content, see the comic books, have an online experience, find other players to play with, have all of the GM tools they need all within this one website. That, that I think, is mm-hmm. kind of the future. Not the future, but I just think that's leveraging all the tools at our disposal in order yeah. to create a one-stop shop for people that creates a unique online experience. I haven't seen anything like that, right? And that's the experience yeah. that we're kind of building towards at the moment, which is why, you know, as you said, the initiative tracker, and like I mentioned, I've got stuff in Google Sheets at the moment, figuring out how to get all of the parts I need to then come back and put them all into the website. A lot more to come. Like, I'm really excited. Again, it's this has become a very... The fact I have playtesters that work on this with me has become much more than just a one-man show. Where like the playtesters uh-huh. have become like almost a juice, as I keep saying, to keep me going because I can see people enjoying what I'm creating. This isn't just a hey man, I spend every night after the family's gone to bed doing this. I don't know if anyone likes it. I see the result of this every Monday, and I run random playtests for groups yeah. of people, and almost all of them come back. You know. Uh huh. I think that is one of the most critical things as a creator getting any sort of positive feedback you just grab onto that and dig right it it's i've been feeling it lately the podcast itself has actually started to pick up and i have no idea why but (laughs) it just being able to just cling on to one or two really nice things that people have said and you're like that's my feel for the next week couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And as I mentioned a couple of times already, but one of my playtesters has run this for other people. So having that, you know, I, I made a comment to him. I felt like when I watched the, he recorded the sessions for me and I, you know, two thoughts, like number one, at the end of both sessions, honest to God, my cheekbones hurt because I'd sat there for three hours just grinning, listening to people play this yeah. game, right? And, you know, that... that and the other thought is that I felt like I was in a police station in the one-way mirror, right? Where I'm watching people on the other <laughs> side and I'm seeing this natural behavior and they don't even know I'm watching them, right? And so yeah. that was like gold, right? Like hearing people, again, he, he's actually a very inexperienced player, right? He's really picked up steam. He's a great GM, but he, he'd only ever GM'd, I think, twice before he ran these games for other people, which is why I created the playtest document and made it as easy as I could. Oh, wow. But, but again, like seeing... 
seeing a, a relatively new GM struggle with some of the systems and then seeing players fresh to the game, seeing how they reacted to it, that was solid mm-hmm. gold, right? And I, I honestly... I would pay for that experience, right? As a game, as a game designer or developer or whatever. Like I, 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 I would not. I didn't know how valuable an experience that would have been until I saw it, right? Mm-hmm. And I sat there and I've watched both of them. Like I've watched one of them three times and one of them I watched twice. So I've like I've watched like spent like fifteen hours rewatching these replays, not out of narcissism, but just because it was. It's a little bit like you know if you're a filmmaker and you give your script to like a, like an amateur dramatic society and you yeah. go and watch their performance and you're like oh my god like I can use all of this as data to make this better so I, as you said that feedback from anyone is it's so valuable we do there's no money in this right I mean like at some point mm-hmm. I'd hope for you with your podcast and you'll get the right audience and you'll get there but like I'm not free league right I'm not going to launch a Kickstarter no. that's going to get like Avatar got nine million dollars for that backing right and you know Blade Runner got 1.7 I think million do- <laughs> <laughs> oh, right I, I, good luck to them I hope that it works out right but that's never going to happen for me right and again like there's no money in comics so this is all about the risk of sounding lofty I'm doing this because I want to give something to people they might enjoy, right? I'm not doing this for money, right? I'm not doing this for, like, no one's ever going to recognize. I mean, I, I, my comic book store owner asked me if I wanted to do a signing. I mean, like, I already feel like I'm a freaking rock star. I'm doing an interview with you. I, I've watched your <laughs> podcast and now here I'm talking to you. All of this is, this is what it's all about. Because again, there's no money. I'm not going to give up my career for this. I'm never going to make enough to support my family. So knowing that it's impacted people, like you say, you get that nice comment. It's just these things that you're kind of like, well, this is why I'm doing it, right? Because I'm creating something that hopefully makes someone's day a little bit better right or gives them an outlet that they wouldn't normally have right and i don't know for a hippie like me that's that's you know a hippie engineer right i mean i think that's that's kind of like that's my version of giving back right again i my wife's a nurse like i mentioned right so she she's a good community steward i am not Mm -hmm. right this is my way of hopefully making people (laughs) smile you know so we've talked a lot about the comics i know that you have the comic shop that you were talking about there do you have a rough idea on when physical versions of this are going to be available, whether that's the comic or the game? Yeah, great question. Thank you. So um, it's it's either in – so the, I, I got, actually got an email today from the publisher who asked me if we wanted to go with August, September, or October to get into comic book stores, right? So I'm talking okay. to my artist who's the most talented – he's this Serbian – a Serbian guy that lives in Germany, right? And he's incredibly talented. He, he's His comics are in print. He does like Serbian comics. He did um, Dead End Kids for Source Point Press, which which is oh, actually, wow. I didn't, find, you know, it was funny. I started working yeah. with him and his artwork was really familiar. And then I looked him up on um, uh, League of Comic Book Geeks, right? That, that website. And I was like, oh, I have some yeah. of his stuff. I've gone out and I bought his stuff previously, right? So I'm so lucky to be working with this guy. But he, he's he's juggling like a career and a family and like a bunch of other comic books. So um, it's going to yeah. be August best case, but I think I'm going to push it to September to give him a chance to make sure he finishes this first arc so there's no delays because we'd like it to be like bum, 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 bum. And then I'm going to go for a Kickstarter at the beginning of next year in, in the game or in the in the in the Distemperverse, the first infection is on March sixth. So um, I was originally wow. planning actually on launching it this week, right? So it was going to be on Tuesday mm-hmm. of this week, right? But I just sorry March seventh. So I couldn't get there, right? I just wasn't able to get all the yeah. stuff done. So I'm pushing it back for a year to let the comic book go out. Hopefully, build a bit of an audience with the comic book. And and again, mm-hmm. we're, we're doing play tests and actual plays, meaning yeah. we're streaming them, right? Like if you go to my YouTube channel, like you can see them there. And so. Mm-hmm. 
going to spend the remainder of this year really tightening the game up for a Kickstarter launch next year and hopefully get the physical copies into people's hands. It is one thing I believe. I back a lot of Kickstarters. The ones I'm most willing to back are the ones where it's complete, right? So I wanted the first issue of this, when I thought I was kickstarting the comic, I wanted the first issue to be complete so that when we kickstarted it, it wasn't a, hey, pay us and we'll produce it. It was a, hey, this will be in, like, like, as soon as the campaign's finished, within 12 hours you'll get the digital copy and then we'll print them and we'll send them to you. So similar with with the game, I could launch it today, quite frankly, like it's in a good enough yeah. shape. But my, my belief is that if I'm going to do this, then people like me, I, again, I, I respect the campaigns where they're kind of like, didn't waste your time. We've got all this done. We're paying for artwork. We're paying for printing. That's where your dollars are going. Mm-hmm. Not you're going to pay me a shitty salary so I can sit and develop a game over the course of the next seven years. I want a finished product ready yeah. to go. So that's why I'm kind of like, again, second second half, maybe last quarter of this year. The comic books come out. First quarter of next year is when the game would come out. Awesome. I'm really excited about that for you. And you'll have to let me know when that happens so that we can chat again. Chat and again. Get that sure. Out there. I'd love to. But Tony, we've been going for just under an hour, according to this. And I just realized that. So I think we should start probably wrapping it up. Okay. I got two more questions for you. So the first sure. one is, what advice can you give to creators who are wanting to make their own projects, but they just don't know where to begin? Start small. Um, I, I I think a lot of us, you know, there's there's a there's a great uh, comic collapse. There's a great subreddit uh, where people go there and and find art. It's where I found my artists to work with. Right, I went there and mm-hmm. kind of posted. So this is what I'm doing. Here's the script. Who wants to work on this? And so all every so often, or all too often, I should say, I see people come on there and they put a post and they're like, "Hey, I'm trying to create a 172 part story that's going to be my magnet, and I've never done it before." And it's kind of like whenever I see those threads, I'm always like, "Oh man, start with a four page short story. Like, just start really simple. Yeah. Don't try and boil the ocean." And with games, you know, I um, I, again, I I did this some of this because I'm a masochist or because it was like an engineering experiment, like I'd mentioned, or an exercise, right? But I think the the advice, if I could go back and talk to myself in 2019, I'd ask myself if I'm trying to create a game or a setting, because the setting, I could have been done with this two years ago and moved on to other stuff, right? But trying to create yeah. all these mechanics and the game world and everything that went with it, super fulfilling project. And I've loved it. I've really loved it, right? But it's mm-hmm. it's been a lot more work than I needed it to be because I went into it with this whole kind of like, hey, this will probably take me three months of a couple of sleepless nights a week and I'll be good and this will all be done. <laughs> and here I am like four years on, right? And I'm still kind of going with this mm-hmm. thing. But it, a large part is because I didn't just take somebody else's mechanics through a system reference, an SRD assistance reference yeah. topic. I didn't just grab like the Traveler one or the, the Forged in the Dark one or, or something, right? And create. Yeah. So I, I, again, it goes back to the start small. I, I had this idea to build what I wanted and I don't think I really thought about it until I was so underwater, right? And I mentioned it to you. I'm on the, the point... 08 release right i've literally done eight other versions of this game or like major iterations where i've changed it that's been a lot of work right and again super rewarding and i'm hoping to see something out of it at the end like again the game being played by other people that don't know me that aren't in my playtest group that's Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal but again i could have probably got there a lot quicker by just adapting somebody else's rules to the setting because it's really the setting and the story that that was the driver for all of this you know so start simple and start small and then one last thing i would say is is 
it goes back to what we said. Share your work early with people, right? If you can get people bought into your idea, even if it's just nice comments or people giving you good feedback on like, you know, constructive feedback on like, hey man, that doesn't work. I got a lot of feedback when in the first iteration because for whatever reason, I don't remember why, but like three was the average score, right? So like, you know, statistics went from six down to zero with everyone starting at three. And like so many people said to me on Reddit, like, what are you doing, dude? Like just start at zero and build up from that. And and that was the kind of advice. I became so blind to that mechanic until enough people said to me, that just is stupid. Like you're just like, like just start at zero and build up (laughs) instead of trying to make three the new zero, right? And so I think that kind of feedback from people, I would still be down certain rabbit holes if people hadn't said to me, hey man, like that mechanic sucks or that's a bad idea or why are you even doing this? So again, start small, be simple and get feedback as quickly as you can because you're you're probably not really making a game for yourself even though you say you are you're making a game for other people so you need to know other people want to play your game because otherwise you're telling a joke only you find is funny and that's who wants to be that guy laughing in a crowd of people because nobody else found his joke funny not me yeah yeah makes total sense and i think too something to remember creating something is the people who are out there reading your game are way nicer than you're going to expect them to be because they want to see your thing succeed. Yeah. You know, one of the things I talk about, um, I, I, I talk about this a lot at my company. I've been there for 15 years, right? I'm part of kind of the executive <laughs> leadership team. So one of the things I've said for years is that people will support what they help create. Right. So if you can get yeah. somebody bought in on an idea, they will support you because they feel like they have a partial ownership in this. Right. And mm-hmm. despite, you know, Twitter can be a hellhole and Reddit can be a hellhole, but there are so many good people out there. Right. And there are so many yeah. people that I found inordinately helpful. Right. And people that have, you know, people that have really gone above and beyond. Right. And just been because they just people are good at heart. Right. I truly believe yeah. that in the right environment, people want to do the good thing, right? Or do the right thing. And I, I, I find that all the time on Reddit and like Twitter where people are just inordinately helpful where, again, like if you ask me what Twitter's like, most days I'll be like, it's an absolute hellscape. But then you actually curate <laughs> your timeline and you keep politics out of it and you keep yeah. religion out of it. And suddenly you, my timeline is just, all it is is people like yourself, right? And it's just, it's it's role players and it's comic books and it's like fun movies and shit, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I love Twitter and I love Reddit because I've curated them well enough that I don't go in there and find people screaming at me from either side of like some imaginary aisle telling me what I should believe. It's just my Twitter timeline is a really, it's a really soothing, warm place. And I'm, I'm not sure I ever thought I would say those words out loud. Yeah, I've, I've definitely noticed that as I spent more time on Twitter. The, yeah. uh, the timeline cleans itself up after a little while to uh, adjust to yourself. So, yeah. Tony, where can people find out more about you and the Distemperverse? So first and foremost, I'd say go to the Distemperverse website, right? So sign up for the mailing list. I have a very, very strict, infrequent, but important updates, right? I don't do a newsletter because <laughs> I don't want to read a newsletter, right? I mean, I, 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 
as much, I, and I support a ton of other creators, right? But I get these newsletters and I kind of like, I'm reading through them. And I'm like, why am I even reading this? Like, I don't know that I care. You're sending this out to stay in touch with me, right? And so yeah. I make sure I only email subscribers or newsletter uh, subscribers on a major update, right? I don't just run, hey, it's a new year and this is what I'm planning. I kind of say, hey, this has just been released or this isn't a new iteration. So I'd say the website, distemperverse.com is a great place. And then on yeah. Twitter, um, zero sum games and zero with an X at the beginning. So XERO, I, I, I'm not all that, I'm, I'm active, I'm on Twitter like, you know, multiple times a day. I, I try not to be one of those people, I try to be involved in conversations rather than be that person that's like, hey, look at another panel that I got from an artist. I do do that as well, right? But I try to make, I try to, I, I'm, I try to be part of the community on Twitter as much as I am yeah. there for self-promotion, right? But I would say <laughs> those are the two places. We also have a, a distemper subreddit for anyone that's on Reddit and, and, you know, Instagram, all the usual places. But I really would say Twitter, um, unless that shuts down, and then the website, which is probably the most reliable <laughs> way to get a hold of me. You know, this week, when I was on it and I couldn't click links and stuff and every time it happens I'm like hey is this the end of the world coming in or is this just like someone at Twitter messing around because they've got like 17 people left so I never really know but when I saw it go down this week I did have a moment of like maybe this isn't the stable platform that I want to believe it is you know <laughs> yeah I I get messages every Tuesday about my podcast host not liking Twitter and then being like hey it linked to a 404 and me being like, oh, no, it, is something happening? <laughs> you know, like a lot of people, when, you know, when uh, when Elon Musk bought Twitter and there was a rise in other platforms, I examined a lot of them, right? I looked at Mastodon and Hive and like a bunch of the other ones. And they just, none of them, for, for better or for worse, Twitter was the first to market and nobody's really come up with a better alternative that hits all of the yeah. beats that Twitter hits, right? And again, there's a lot mm -hmm. to not love about Twitter, but there isn't really a replacement for it at this point, right? And so I don't really yeah. love it. And again, my timeline, it's, it, it, it's become more of an effort recently to keep my timeline I, actually, probably since Elon Musk took over, right, some of the changes and them letting people yeah. go, like I feel like my timeline's a lot more out of control, despite what I said about it being curated. But I haven't seen mm. another alternative, right? And just I, I, yeah. I, I'm not quite sure what it will take. But the others all feel very fragmented, like Mastodon and like Hive, and they're they're kind of cute, but like there's then they're, they're never going to replace Twitter until Twitter really really takes a massive misstep. So I do think that's still a predominant platform in our society, better or worse, you know? Yeah. As always, audience, though, those links for Tony and Zero Sum Games and Stamperverse, they're going to be in the description down below, right at the top there. Go check out this game. It's super cool. Go read the comic. It's amazing. Tony, thank you so much for joining me this week. This was amazing. This is a little bit longer than I expected to be, but I was really into this conversation. So thanks for joining me. I really enjoyed it, Zach. Thank you so much for having me on. I, I, I haven't done many of these kind of media interviews. And like I say, I'm a fan of yours. So I feel I, th this, has been, this has been great. The few interviews I've done, I've been very selective with the people I've reached out to because I, I, I want to enjoy this process, right? And so thank you so much for yeah. having me on. This has been, and we did go for a long, I hadn't realized when you said we've been going for an hour, I was like, really? I thought it was like a half hour. <laughs> Crazy. So I, I appreciate your time. Thank you. And I appreciate you giving me this opportunity to talk about Distemper. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And audience, thank you so much for listening. Tony, Zero Sum Games, and the Distemperverse, they're scheduled to launch real soon. So keep your ears out, and I will let you know when that goes live. Until next time, though, take care of yourself, and I'll see you out there. Bye.
Hey everybody, thank you for listening to this episode. I'm here with a friend of the show, Lion Knight from Tales from the Table Studios. Lion, if you want to tell them about what's going on in March, we'd love to hear it. Thanks so much, Zach. Hi, I'm Lion with Tales from the Table Studios, and at the end of March, the 24th through the 26th, we're going to be running a charity drive, the Days of Tales 2, in support of NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. We're going to be raising money through 36 hours over the course of three days with actual plays, panels, giveaways, and some other really cool stuff that we can't talk about just yet. But it's going to be exciting. We're really excited to do it. And we are looking for people who are interested in spreading the word in any way that they can and sharing in this great opportunity. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. There's some friends of the show on there as well. So I'm really excited for all that to happen. Until next time, though, everybody, enjoy the outro. Thank you so much to Tony for joining me on the show this week to talk about the Distemperverse. I have now had the chance to run a little bit of this game, and super good. Check it out. The comic's also absolutely phenomenal. And if you're familiar with Blood Moon Publishing, they're typically pretty choosy on what they want to put out there. So you know this comic is in really good hands. If you're interested in Chase, then I highly recommend going down and looking at the top of the description there. You're going to see the comic for the first couple pages of the first issue. Really good. Check it out. Art's amazing. Story's really good. Just get in on the Distemperverse. You, you won't regret it. And thank you for listening as always, audience. We've had a huge bump in people recently coming to the show and listening. So, hey everybody, thanks for joining us. I got two little pieces of info for you all, though. If you've been listening to the show recently, then you know Days of Tales is coming up, and it's going to be live on Tales from the Table Studios' Twitch channel this week. March 25th at 12 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to be playing When the End Comes by Sandra Catherine, who's also running it. It's a love letter to slasher films, so if you're interested in catching that with me, then hey, join us and maybe get in and help that charity as we go forward. And if you have kids and you want them to check out some travel stuff on podcast format, I highly recommend my two episodes of But Amigos, written by friend of the show Mo Poplar. If you want to hear me as a bunch of silly Canadian animals and tell you a little bit about Toronto, then... I highly recommend it. Check it out. That's all from me for this week, though. Until next time, I hope to see you somewhere out there. Bye.